Welcome back to the Crossover Podcast, the show where you get comics and you get sports and you get a little bit of Game of Thrones, and we're going to be doing Game of Thrones and sports today. It's going to be a true crossover episode. Today, I, uh, we've thinned the ranks a little bit here, and uh, Kevin and Rob are back. How are you guys doing? Good. Hey, All right, good to have you guys. We're going to talk a little bit of Game of Thrones, and then uh, once you guys are done, we're going to get Craig Needles in, and Craig's going to talk a little bit about one of the greatest, and possibly the greatest, weekend in the history of Toronto sports and and we'll probably get caught up in the NFL and NBA playoffs and whatnot but we're talking Game of Thrones right now with you two guys and obviously we got one of the biggest off-season questions for Game of Thrones answered which is will we see Jon Snow hop off of the table that he's been laying on for I guess a, a little bit and and will we see Kit Harrington up and running around and the answer we got was actually a yes he is back he woke up at the end of the last episode the answer was of course <laughs> yeah. yeah it was was of course yes I mean I he's not off that table yet he just that's op- true. he just opened his eyes and gasped yeah, let's not <laughs> let's like... not get ahead of ourselves we got to the classic like Thing. He's still got to wait a couple <laughs> yeah. more episodes before he gets off the table. Yeah, that's true. Oh, like, yeah. maybe he's just, like, yeah, maybe he's alive, but he's not really, like, maybe it takes that Game of Thrones twist where he's just laying there, but he's like, I can't actually move any of my body. Please release me from this hell. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong when you're dead for a couple days. All this yeah. stuff stops working. <laughs> how, how many times does the system need to reboot? <laughs> like, did I mess myself? <laughs> Nobody saw that, right? Also, oh, it was man. fun, too, because when Melisandre was passing her hands over him, like, he was definitely flexing his ass. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ringer Mortis had set in. Yeah, either that or it was a, uh, a Kit Harrington dummy. I don't know. It was probably actually him, though. But I hope that they – one thing I hope, I hope that they keep, like – I don't know if they're going to perform, like, some sort of healing ritual on him or if he's just going to be walking around looking like – it's like, okay, my body's here, but or like my mind's here, but my body's still like a corpse or whatever. I don't know what they're... He still has the thing. 17 stab wounds in the back. Yeah, that's what I hope. I hope he keeps like... like I, I hope he's... Well. Yeah, I hope he's Kit Harrington, but I hope either they, they keep like... It's just he's got holes in him, or he's just got like a bunch of like clearly visible gross scars. Yeah. I think that would be kind of cool if they were just... If he was just like... I don't know, and, and he went to see the guys, and he's like, "That's where you stab me. That's where you stab me." Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and oh, that's kind great. of the way that um, Derek Dondarian was with his. Like, you could definitely see where he'd like had his stuff cut in his arms and like stabbed through the back and stuff like that before, but he was still alive because Thorosamir kept bringing him back. <laughs> so that that so, makes sense. It's in canon. <laughs> so where do you stand? Let's start with Rob. Where do you stand on Jon Snow? Still being alive, just as as part of the canon of this show. I'm okay with it, um, mm-hmm. based on what everyone's been telling me, like the Jon Snow's heritage. So Ned Stark and whoever the suspected mother is, I can't remember it uh, oh. off the top of my head right now. But with, Lyanna, yeah, who we no, met Lyanna's a little bit. Sister. We're, we're thinking it's Lyanna and Rhaegar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So the whole. Uh, like fire hot and fire ice. and ice, hot cold stuff. Uh, it's like okay, uh, I, I'm intrigued by that. I'm okay with him coming back. Mm-hmm. And also, as the the seasons went on, I started liking him more and more. So when he became the Lord Commander, it's like okay, let's see where this goes. And then just becomes a not a traitor, but the traitors 
call him a traitor and kill him. It's like, well, okay, but you're coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of people would point to Kit Harrington as far as his best, because uh, he was one of the MVPs of season five. Yeah. I think it was him and Davos were, were not, or sorry, not Davos, um, Stannis, the guy who played Stannis. I think yep. they were the MVPs of season five. Uh, a lot of people, I think, would point to the Hard Home episode as Jon Snow's kind of tour de force moment, but I think it would be when he beheaded Yano Slint. Yes. I think that that was such a just brilliant moment for that character. That that character elevated him to like superstar level for for well, me. Well, and for yeah, me personally, having read the books, like the minute that he kills uh, Corrin the Half Hand and kind of turns over to the Wildlings at like the end of season two, that's when I mm-hmm. really start to like him. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Except for the part where virgins were apparently good at oral sex. That was a little strange. Uh, well, I mean, she never had it before. <laughs> she never done it. She never had it. Both of them are probably having like completely skewed perspectives on it. Yeah, yeah, sure. It happened, so it must have been good. <laughs> I guess, I guess. Um, now, you mentioned Lyanna Stark. We got what I believe is our first... Appearance of that character in physical yeah, form on this show. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first of many wrestling style. By God, that's Brian's music. There were because there were like four or five in this episode of of, of like like Jr. could have come in and been like, By God, that's so and so's music, and one of them was Brian. Yeah, first it, it took an, a year and an episode. Yeah. So and it's not and it's not like he aged at all. I mean, he, he's no. not taller than Hodor. <laughs> no, <laughs> his voice is deeper than mine. <laughs> he comes in there, he's like, "I've got to save them." <laughs> when, when he was laying on the ground uh, outside, like he was curled up to try to look yeah. smaller. <laughs> yeah, he was doing like a. He was doing like, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls pose from uh, Titanic, yeah. right? Oh, no, lay me down in gentle repose. <laughs> yeah. With the good was, light. Yeah. Oh, it was pretty funny. Um, I, I really enjoyed that that flashback. I mean, yeah. it, it's kind of, it, I mean, I don't know if you call it a flashback or a dream sequence, probably a vision, I guess, is what you would go with. Yeah, but in, it's the in second canon, it's a vision in, in okay. fiction. Because we know what, what, how writing books goes, it's basically a flashback. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. This, so this is basically him having quote unquote visions, and it's services as the second flashbacky type thing that they've ever done on this show. And I imagine we're going to get a bunch more because he'll go through. Uh, I'll call it two and a half. <laughs> what was the half one? Because the the one I'm thinking of was we got young Ned Stark, and we learned that uh, we learned what you talking about Hodor. Mm-hmm. Apparently his name is Willis, yeah. but. Which is not what um, his name is in the book. <laughs> interesting. Oh, interesting. Go ahead. Tell that story. Uh, his name, well, I mean, they don't touch on it too much, but the idea was that his name is uh, Walder, like Walder Frey. Ooh. Um, but he was too stupid to say it properly, so it came out as Hodor. <laughs> interesting. So he so, and, like... that, and that might be the sort of the genesis of what happens here, if they go into it even that much. Well, obviously okay. they portrayed it as Hodor, mm-hmm. you know, being the greatest character in Game of Thrones. Uh, he, it, it seemed like he was just a normal dude. He just happened to be like the size of a wrestler. Well, yeah. Like, well, yeah that giant the, the thought is, or the rumor yeah. is that he's half giant, right? Yes. That he's got giant oh, he's, blood. He's the Hagrid of this series. Exactly. Right. And maybe somebody, I don't know, struck him. Maybe he took like a blow to the head or something. And now he's, you know, yeah. kind of hopeful. Well, I mean, we've seen 
I mean, I don't imagine they're going to go like a whole episode and a half backstory on Hodor of all people. But uh, how dare you? I absolutely. <laughs> I'd be okay with it. I was intrigued the whole time during that vision sequence. Oh no, that was that was a great sequence. Don't get me wrong. What I'm getting at is, I don't imagine we'll get much more backstory on him. And frankly, I don't know that we need it. Um, but uh, it was awesome to see, uh, and I like the way they did it because it showed the flashback. Um, and you knew that they were flashing back because it didn't just throw you into in medias res. And it showed, um, like, little Ned Stark, you know, fighting sword and board. And he looked like Bran. So for a second, I thought it was, like, Bran flashing back to, like, maybe four years ago or something like that. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I thought that, too. Yeah. So I, you weren't alone on that one. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I thought that was a great touch that they found a kid who looked like Isaac Wright Hempstead or whatever his name is and got him to play baby Ned Stark. Yeah. So you mentioned two and a half flashbacks, and the only two I can think of are this one that we just had with Ned Stark and Lyanna, and the other one was Cersei's flashback to the at the beginning of season five with the uh, the witch in the tent who you know gave her the prophecy right, yeah. of her children dying. What is the half that you were referring to? Uh, just refresh memory. There was a, like a dream sequence that Bran had at like the beginning of season I want to say three. Um, right before he met like Mira and Jojen, mm-hmm. I think it was the very first episode. It might have even been the first scene of season three, uh, where he's in a dream sequence and he's in the woods around Winterfell and he can walk again, but he's basically by himself. Uh, but he's hearing voices and stuff like that of things that have happened previously in the show. So they had some, you know, Sean Beaton had Stark lines and they had some Rob lines and I think there was like a Maester Lewin line and. It was just kind of a dream sequence, but it was flashing back to a few. And it wasn't like visual; it was just voices. Huh. Okay. So again, I call it half, or maybe even like point three, but a little bit of something there. No, this is why we do this podcast not not just to recap, but so you can refresh my memory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't have time to rewatch all seven all, all five seasons ahead of time. Right. Yeah. So. I, I actually was going to bring up in this episode that I wish I had taken notes during our uh, season six hype episode. <laughs> Because yeah. a lot of us were calling out uh, like who we think are MP3 or MP3s or MVPs, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who we think our MVPs are going to be, who we think is going to eat it, and I think most of those people have either had that moment or eaten it already. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, I'd still, I'm, I had Sir Davos as my MVP, and and so far he, I, I think he's the front, I think he's the front runner right, right now. My MVP is dead. So. Yeah, we're only, we're only a fifth of the way through yeah. the season. Davos so still has that. a shot. Arya's still got a shot. Yeah. Oh. Um, that Game of Thrones version of Poison Ivy that was hanging out with yeah. Bran and and the Three Eyed Raven is is that a thing in the books, Miller, or is yeah, that just it is. Okay, go ahead. Explain that to me. It's one of the, and they described them, I think, several times in the book. I don't know if they ever described them in the series, but uh, like Children of the Forest is what they're called. And they're basically kind of described the way you would describe like a Tolkien-esque elf. Yes. Um, But they existed before like the Andals came over, which is what we would call like a human when they came over from Essos. So this was, like, very primordial. They were the first species of man to walk the earth, what we, what we would kind of consider, like, Neanderthals or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but the idea was that they were, you know, they didn't have buildings. They just lived in and around trees. Like, they were very primal and, and naturalistic in that way. Um, but they're always described as they have a very long lifespan, 
but because they're a very peaceful like people, like they're always they always look like children. So I mean, and this so one's like obviously supposed to be imps, basically. Yeah, this one's supposed to be a bit older. Like you said, it's kind of like a poison ivy type looking character, and like she looks like some sort of cat person in some ways. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the way the one is described in the book is basically like another 12 year old that looks kind of like green ish and like has that kind of power to them. Well, and to me, she, sorry, I was just gonna say to me, she looked like a tree person almost. Like, yeah. You, yeah. you really only saw her face primarily, but it resembled a bit of a tree. Yeah. The, the way yeah. that they're described in the, uh, book is like halfway between like a poison ivy where it's like a halfway between like a plant human eye hybrid and yeah. like a like a child elf type thing. Yeah. Um, it's like if Tinkerbell was half tree. Yeah, or something it's like, like one that. of those yeah. generic fae type creatures where it's like sort yeah. of elf, sort of fairy, sort of sprite dryad thing, you know, one of those. Now do they have magic powers as well and and what exactly do they do? I honestly don't remember that much because okay. once we got to the point in the books where Bran had met up with the three eyed crow. Uh, we got like two chapters after that uh, that were brand centric. Like it kind of had a brand skip the same way that it did in the show, which is why I said even at the end of like season four, I'm like, cool, we're out of brand stuff now. Like they're gonna have to make a lot up for season five, and they did. Um, but they, they, which was nothing. Unfortunately, <laughs> they kept brand out of that season entirely. But now yeah. this is all new stuff, so we haven't seen this character do much of anything besides be someone else that. Bran can talk to and Mira can talk to. Like, it gives Mira someone to talk to when Bran and the Three-Eyed Crow are in their comas, because, you know, Hodor is not a great conversationalist. <laughs> if only we knew why. <laughs> yeah, your mileage may vary. You know what we need? An episode and a half of backstory. <laughs> two episodes. Um, Christmas special. <laughs> oh, I love it. First, first, they put that in theaters. I'm first in line. Um... The Iron Islands made the opening credits. <laughs> yeah, and, for the and first here's time. what I was, was kind of alluding to before, because uh, in our hype episode, um, yeah. we were talking about, like, who's alive that shouldn't be, who's My alive God, that isn't. And uh, as soon as we got the established, and Mike uh, Leapock <laughs> said, you know, one of the people who's probably going to die this season, just because he should have done it seasons ago, <laughs> is Bailing Greyjoy. And he was crossing yeah. the bridge, and the storm <laughs> threw him off the off the bridge. Like, it was just an accident, basically. Yeah. Um, when he started taking that, so as soon as we got that, <laughs> yeah. as soon as we got that establishing shot of Pike during the storm, I'm like, all right, count it, Lee Buck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know exactly how this is gonna end. <laughs> yeah, that but, was my thoughts. <laughs> uh, that said, I love the way they did that scene. Yeah, and I'm gonna ask you a simple question, <clears throat> Kevin Miller. Who the hell was <laughs> that? <laughs> Uh, well, again, I was going to bring this up because I said during our hype episode, like, what characters haven't been introduced yet? I yeah. mentioned uh, Euron and Victorian Greyjoy. They're Balin's brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. I think younger, yeah, younger than him, and that's why they're not the king. Um, but uh, the idea was Victorian, who this guy wasn't, um, is sort of like their admiral domestically. Okay. So he's kind of like the big military, very, you know, toes the the Iron Islands line guy who runs their fleets in and around the Seven Kingdoms. He's probably the one making most of their war. He hasn't been in the show yet, and they kind of condensed that role into uh, the sister, Yara. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we'll see him now with this kind of subplot taking off. Uh, the other brother is uh, Euron, Euron, I should say, not Euron. Uh, <laughs> uh, but he, he was kind of like the wild card sort of guy. 
um, who took a smaller fleet and decided to go across the other direction over like the great ocean, not the narrow sea to uh, Essos. So he's been to like Carth and all these places and, you know, got caught in storms, presumed dead, lost for decades. Like, you know, he hasn't been home in like 15 years or something like that. And now here he suddenly shows up and he's got a little crazy in him. <laughs> and we have to imagine he's there for a reason. <laughs> And I don't want to spoil too much, but this actually did happen in the books, and I wasn't sure if it was going to happen in the series. So there's still some spoilers to look forward to. All right. So we, we won't get too deep into that. But I will say that they mentioned a couple things kind of offhandedly, because after Balin died, they had, like, the mm-hmm. funeral scene, which was awesome. I always like how they kind of just, like, throw them in the water. And it's not a Viking funeral. It's just you get to drown now. Yeah, that's – I was going to say, the Iron Islands, it's – it seemed it reminded me so much of the East Coast mm. that I was just like, man, like just some of those shots of like the rocks hitting, like the waves hitting the water, and just on the rocks and and whatnot. I was just like, man, that looks. I'd probably be like, I, I think of all the people to be of of all the kingdoms or whatever in this to be part of. I think I would most want to be part of the Iron Islands just based on where I was born and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. I, I mean, knowing George R R, it probably draws heavily from like Scotland. Mm-hmm. That yes. sort of thing, where it's very icy Nordic and and you know yeah. bits of farmland separated by just ter- like kind of rough living conditions. Um, so maybe even more Nordic than that, but uh, yeah, you're right. Very much like tall cliffs and you know giant waves splashing around them, and it's kind of a hard life. Uh, yeah, no, I I, I like the funeral scene, and they kind of said like they they brought up the idea that oh you know Yara's his heir, like she'll be the crown now she'll be the queen of the iron islands but they're like no because that's not how we do it here we basically have a king's moot yeah that was going to be my follow-up question they mentioned the king's moot what is the king's moot and well i mean they're good they're gonna probably explain this in the next episode or two do you want to spoil around this <laughs> yeah give me give me a heads up as long like don't tell me if it's like a contest don't tell me the winner or anything like that but just give me the rundown yeah, yeah, of, yeah. Oh, so the idea moot. is basically that um <clears throat> In simple terms, uh, the crown of the Iron Islands or the the ruling seat of the Iron Islands is more or less a meritocracy. So if there is no clear successor, which in this case there isn't because all of Balin Greyjoy's sons are presumed dead, so he's got a daughter and he's got brothers. So it's very much like, you know, who's taking precedent over who. If there's no very clear successor... They do what's called a king's mood, and one hasn't been done on in the Iron Islands for like a thousand years or something like that, because it's always been pretty clear. Like the Greyjoys are the family; they've always had a pretty strong male line. Um, not the case here anymore. So uh, the king's mood is basically a contest of a meritocracy, where they gather together all the candidates and basically all of them put on a show to say, "Here's why I should be in charge." Here's all like the the offerings I can bring to you. Here's all the glory I can bring you. Like they, it's it's like an election that happens in like six hours. You better bring your A game to that, I guess. Yeah, well, and and, <laughs> and you have no idea what the people want. So there are all like these. It basically is a collection of minor lords and stuff like that, and who are representative of their um, like regions and their holdings and their people. Uh, and someone will get up in front and be like, here, you know, I've been on ships for years. I found like all this gold, like just knocking over chests like gold while people cheer and be like, yeah, gold, like you can have all this basically if you make me your king, 
or someone will be like, you know, here's all the, you know, here's all these trade supplies that I was able to get in because I'm a very diplomatic king. And so I made all these deals with like Dorn and, and uh, the reach and all that where, you know, our people won't have to farm anymore because we never do. We do not sow our words. And, you know, here's all that. You basically show what you can bring to the table by literally bringing it to the table and giving it to your people. (laughs) And they decide who they want to be king after. (laughs) So the fact that Theon is now heading back to the Iron Islands, is he technically... Yeah. Is he technically the rightful heir? Or he technically is, yeah. But I mean, is he throwing a wrench into this whole king's moot thing? Well, we'll see. I mean, uh, the storyline diverged uh, quite a bit from what mm-hmm. it was in the show and books. Like things are happening in sort of a different order. Okay. So it's very possible. Like last time we saw Theon in the books, him and Sansa were jumping off a wall of Winterfell. I have no idea where he's going, right? <laughs> but uh, the king's moot thing I've seen before, so who knows? <laughs> um. Rob Coughlash, who was the better animal whisperer this episode? Uh, Tyrion the dragon whisperer or Ramsay the dog whisperer? Uh, Tyrion, because Tyrion is infinitely better than Ramsay. <laughs> um, but the Ramsay part was, that was harsh. And I'm, I'm glad, <laughs> I love horror movies, but I'm yeah. glad they didn't show anything for that when yeah, the dogs were let dogs loose. Because just let the imagination do, the, do its work yeah. with just a little bit of sound. Um, but the whole time with Tyrion, I was really hoping it's like, those dragons better leave him alone. Yeah. Do not let him go up this way. That would have been a pretty terrible Tyrion way if he was just eaten by a dragon. Like, I would have just been like, like, that would have been the best way for them to do it. If they were going to be like, okay, here goes Tyrion, but we'll give you Jon Snow back at the end of the episode. Uh, Well, we had, we had talked about this previously because, uh, in the, um, in the book, there was a character, Quentin Martell, who was another Martell son, who basically yeah. went to uh, Marine to kind of court Danny. She was he was already too late, so he just kind of got shuffled off to the side. Mm-hmm. Um, and as like a grand romantic gesture, he tried to like take control of one of the dragons to show that he was worthy of it. Uh, and assuming this ended well for this, yeah, well, <laughs> he's a greasy stain on the wall. Yeah. Um, so as soon as like Tyrion started doing the thing, and I'm like, oh god, they get rid of minor characters all the time and have major characters do the same thing. Is he about to like get like I don't think he'll die, but is he about to get like grievously injured? Here? They um, might have taken a little nibble. No, and then you know what happened? A and, and maybe you didn't pick up on this, Pierce, but you know what happened? Despite no. the fact that we know that the dragons don't understand English, they understand High Valyrian, <laughs> he spoke yeah. to them in English and basically said, when I was a boy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He kind of did. It's like, but that hey, was... listen, we don't understand you and we don't care. But... Yeah, he, he did do that, didn't <laughs> it's he? It's true, very... but he... But that was less exposition. It was, right? Like, that was and and we, like... always, uh, we always don't care if Tyrion does that. We give him yeah. carte blanche to exposition. Yeah. But also it's the it, tone that he set it in to, yeah. to to try to convey the message to the dragon. But you're right. He knows how to speak Valyrian. Maybe not very well, mm-hmm. but he does. That, yep. That just wasn't as, as, as obviously, it wasn't as egregious because it wasn't, we're, we're, we're jamming exposition in. It's like we spent five seasons with Tyrion. We know mostly about, and now he's just telling us an anecdote from his childhood, right? So it's, it's way more anecdotal than 
Obara Sand, who we just met, and <laughs> she's telling these people who presumably every time she gets drunk, she tells this story, <laughs> and she just goes, when I was a girl, it's like, we know, we're your sisters, man. Like, like who are you telling this yeah, to? Yeah, well, well, I mean, not that I want to defend her, but in Obara's uh, defense, at least the person she was telling the story to could understand her. Also true. <laughs> but that's never stopped people on this series before, so who cares? <laughs> it, 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 listen, it's not even a nitpick. I just thought it was funny. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it, it, it definitely was. So, Ramsey mm-hmm. stabs Roos in the chest. I got to tell you, I didn't see that coming. Neither did I. But Harkening back to our uh, MVP who dies this season, I called that. <laughs> here's a, here's yeah. a question about like, it. Roos Bolton does not survive this season. I didn't think it would be episode two. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, Ramsey had the plan to kill Roos regardless of what was going no. on? Or the second he heard that he had a, another son. I, I think the second he heard it, he had another son, and then he said, Bruce said something. He, I think he decided right there in that moment, I'm stabbing him in the chest. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he stabbed him in the same way I, Bruce killed Rob Stark, so you came full circle on that yeah, one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put it past, uh, yeah, and then his also his wife and child very much, Rob Stark. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wouldn't put it past Ramsey to have had this plan kind of from the get-go, um, but once because he was already kind of on edge with the fact that, oh, you know, my new, my, my stepmother is pregnant and, you know, if they get a male heir, then things are going to be dicey around here. But that, that it coincided with like him having fucked up the previous episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was probably felt like his back was against the wall at that point. And uh, Mm -hmm. what do we know about Dragon Ball Z is that when your back's on the wall, you have nowhere to go, but right through you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Um, uh, the one I thing I liked about this scene is, remember in the previous episode when the dogs disappeared? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, got more than one pack of dogs. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the joke that I saw on uh, Twitter today was that, the, oh, I see what happened here. They just basically outkited the dogs and they spawned back at their spawn point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back in the kennel. Back in the kennels. Um, I just have an ancillary question. Uh where did the dragon eggs come from? Where do they in the series? Yeah, in the series or the books, like just because dragons were allegedly dead. So I guess what I'm asking is which came first, the dragon or the egg? Uh, so dragons have been dead for like extinct for a century. Yeah, uh, at this at the start of the series, um, around there, uh, at at Daenerys's wedding. Uh, Illyrio, mm-hmm. the guy who's been hosting them up to that point, he was the one who was talking with Viserys at the very beginning. He's the one who like uh, gave the introduction to um, Khal Drago. He was the one who yes. actually housed Tyrion and uh, Varys when they came to that side of things. And mm-hmm. He's kind of like the Lord of Pentos. Um, he gave them to Danny as a wedding present, like, and they're extremely expensive. But this guy, you know, it's like a drop in the bucket for him. Like that's how rich he is. Um, and extremely rare, but they were petrified dragon eggs, and he basically just gave them to her as a, you know, they're not dragon eggs, like, they they were, but they're long since petrified, and, you know, they're just a wedding gift. And as it, okay. it worked out, it was the same in the books as it was in the in the uh, show. So presumably so. they were from a century ago? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, like, they, they were, sense. like, and, and Tyrion kind of told the story about how, you know, the dragons, because they were more and more tamed became less and less dangerous and so on. Yeah. 
it's it's assumed that these ones just you know by the time the last dragon was killed like these two these ones just never hatched for whatever reason um and as we learned from the show and the book both is because they require a good amount of heat because usually they're being you know mothered by a dragon who can breathe fire on them at all times yeah so we see a lot of scenes in the first season where Daenerys is like putting them in the fire and eventually they have the funeral pyre for Khal Drogo and then she puts them in there too and they crack and then dragons are around. All right. Nope. That, that, that makes sense. I just, when we were watching that, when I was watching that scene with Tyrion in the dragons, which was a fun scene, I just remember thinking, okay, did they ever explain where the dragon eggs actually came from or did I just miss yeah, that? Because like, I obviously... Stuff falls through the It's a bit simpler than you would think. Like they were just they yeah. were just wedding presents. It's as if like uh, and, petrif- and they were but, but like petrified dragons. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to make sure the dragon eggs didn't materialize out of nowhere. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, it, I effectively buy- they did, but they were they had a little bit of a backstory. It wasn't much of one, but it's it's like if a paleontologist today found dinosaur eggs and some rich collector was like, yeah, I'll buy those, and then dry, yeah. and then dinosaurs hatched. <laughs> like, oh shit, he's been extinct for millions of years. Uh, Rob Rob Coughlin. Yes. By God, that's the Wildlings music. That was very <laughs> predictable, but fantastic. Yeah, I just <laughs> and incredibly it, great when whoever shot the giant and just pulled them oh, out God, of yeah. the top and wailed them against the wall. And gave the incredible Hulk Loki treatment. Yeah, yeah. Picks up and slams them into the wall. He's a like, cool blood stain. Just throws. <laughs> yeah, and everyone else is like, "Cool, we give up." Yeah. I was trying to figure out what what was a better moment during that sequence. Was it one one smashing that dude up against a wall, or was it like when Ollie came at Tormund with an axe and Tormund was just like, "Get out of here!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are you Pushes doing? Him aside, takes him in the butt. Uh, <laughs> I was very happy to see the wildlings uh, show up yeah. because you could actually John make Snow a stuff. video. Yeah, you could actually make a video of like when they bust through the door when the uh, when one one bust through the door. You could actually probably sync that up to the glass shattering and then Stone Cold Steve Austin's music playing if you really <laughs> wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Oh you just God. you just see them like stomping yeah. on the doors like dude, dude, dude. oh my God <laughs> Yeah. That's one one's music. <laughs> someone so, like someone with the ability to just bust through the door and everyone runs in. Yeah. Someone with the ability to do that. Hook that up for me. Um we also had by God that's Jack and Hagar's music. I'm like, oh god, there were so many. Like, honestly, you could have like put Jr. in every scene because at the very end we had, by God, that's Jon Snow's music. Too. Yeah, this whole oh, this god. episode was completely riddled with. We are setting yeah. up so much that you yeah not gonna want to miss it. <laughs> it was good. Um, we got a short little visit from Arya, and I said last week if we got that amount of Arya in every in all ten of the episodes, I would be fine with it. Yeah. And so far, two for three. She got her ass kicked again. <laughs> yeah, still going through her Daredevil training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But she's progressed. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's on to the next one. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with her. Because we've, in the books, kind of seen the beginning and end of her blind phase. Mm. Um, and the thing that she did after that was, uh, you know, Oyster's clams and cockles bit. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest Red Lobster employee of all time. Oh, yeah, the month. yeah. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how they actually do it this way, because they seem to be doing things in a different order, and, you know, we never actually got Daredevil training. It'll, it'll yeah. be cool to see if it takes. All right. So... Uh, we had that great scene with Jamie and the High Sparrow. I thought I thought that was... Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. Some, yeah, that was some, some good performances in, the, in that scene from Jonathan Price and... Uh, the 
Jamie, whose real life name I, I can't pronounce, who who was really good in this scene, fresh off that tremendous performance in Gods of Egypt. Um, <laughs> look at me kicking a guy while he's down. <laughs> oh man, um, oh, that's okay. <laughs> what was a better scene? I'm just gonna say, like, just off the top, like, um, just just go with your gut on this one. What was a better two person scene? Was it Jamie and the High Sparrow, or was it Melisandre and Davos? Oh, that's actually my least favorite scene of the episode. Really? Davos? Oh, yeah. Like in this episode? Strictly this episode. That's that's my least favorite scene of this episode, yes. All right, so Miller's got one voice for Jamie and... and Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Jamie and the High Sparrow. I, I think I agree. I like the Melisandre and Davos scene. Miller, why? Why would beef? What was your beef with that one? Um, that's not Davos's character at all. <laughs> yeah, kind of. For, you know what? You're right. Now that you bring that up, for him to just kind of buy right into the magic. Well, because he was, always hated that about her. Like that's not who yeah. he is. And for him to just be like, "Hey, listen, I know you don't want to do this, and I have no reason to know that this is even a possible thing that you can do. But hey, can you do this thing? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And also, it can I like? Do I have to talk you into it? Yeah, that, and it was very um, sports movie. It was the sports movie pep talk moment. Yeah. Like, it, it was where the coach of the football team has to give him, like, it, it was the what's-his-face in, in any given Sunday moment, uh, Al Pacino in any given Sunday moment, right, where he was like, you know, we got to go do this now and yeah. stuff, right? Like it was just, well, it was We had just a fun. brief conversation during the hype episode of, you know, we're going to assume that Jon Snow's coming back. What episode is he coming back? And I think that I'd said like episode four or five or something like that because I ex- we set the over under at two and a half, which was apparently a Vegas like over under because he came back and exactly if you took the under, you were like it, it was literally the last possible moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you would have been on your on your feet cheering and stuff like that. I'm sure a lot of people yeah. were honestly great moments in gambling history. Jon Snow going, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the camera lingers on him. Um, but uh, what I the reason why I expected it to be delayed is because I expected fairly early on, like second or third episode, that Melisandre, her faith kind of shaken, would want to do it, and Davos would be the one standing in the way. And this was the opposite of that. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so the fact that they kind of had like a, a a three minute pep talk, and you can do it, Melisandre, and then she did it. <laughs> like she changed her mind really fast. And yeah. this. I'll say this. It wasn't the ritual I was expecting. Like I, I was expecting this would have to be some sort of grandiose thing where, where she's like, okay, I need like horse blood and I need my blood and I need this blood. And we've got to be, his body's got to be like burning and we got to draw all sorts of symbols on his body. And like, I actually like the ritual itself. Really? She just cut his hair off and threw it in a fire. Well, yeah, because she doesn't know what she's times. doing. That's why I liked it, because she's just like, I don't know, I guess I'll do these things, and hopefully I'll, yeah, if like, I rub his chest in this way and say some words, like, you can tell she's grasping, and I thought that was great. Looks like he needs a haircut and trim, so, all right. Yeah, I don't know, it's just, I thought I it would be a little... after you die, Rob. I, th- yeah. I thought that... I thought the ritual would be a bit more elaborate. That's that's just me, though. I don't know. No, I, I I got the impression that she was making it up as she was going, which she absolutely yeah. was. So I liked it. <laughs> She's going to be like, oh, shit, it worked. Which makes me wonder, like, and, and this character's not around anymore, and I don't mean that he's dead. I mean, he's literally not around anymore. Like, maybe he'll come back at some point. But it makes you wonder why Thoros Amir was so good at it. Like, who the hell's this yeah. guy? <laughs> yeah, like, he was, he was just kind of spitting, like... Yeah, he's just like kissing Beric Dondarrion and healing his wounds and 
Yeah, like, it, 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 I, thing. it wasn't a ritual at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, buddy, it, it, I remember that scene. The Hound and Arya basically turned around, and they were like, see, he's dead now. And they were like, look again. And then the guy turned around. He was like, what good fight. Thumbs up. <laughs> and, was, and they were like, ooh. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, and that was the exact tone they had in the exact scene. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, that's all I got for this one. Do you have anything else you want to add for season two? Or season six, episode two, titled Home. All right. It's kind of a lame title. I, I, I got one. Yeah, anything you want to rob? Uh, for the ending. So it ended with yes. John opening his eyes and gasping. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people would say no to this, but would it have been better if it didn't show, it still showed the shot on him, but then it cut to black, but before it went to credits and all that, there, you hear him gasp. Hmm. So yeah. rather than showing Like it goes it, black, it, and it, then you hear <gasps> Yeah. Yeah, that's it certainly would be funkier. I think. Uh, and then you, I, then like with that, like people missed it, and here's like think, what? That's uh, more of a that, season that, finale move, I think. Yeah, that's oh, also yeah, to that's me, true. That's more of the type of shit The Walking Dead would pull. You know what? Just piss, <laughs> all right, just to piss off. I, I, I was going to bring this up actually. Considering <laughs> I watched The Walking Dead, that could very well be why I think along this line. Yeah, that's that's something The Walking Dead would do to piss off their audience, and and I don't think Game of, Game of Thrones takes so much from their audience all the time <laughs> that I think to not just be like, okay, he's back. I I think would just like because imagine if we did it your way, where he was just lying there and it fades to black and you hear, <gasps> and then like <laughs> this week would just be people like people on the internet just di- dissecting every little moment of of that sound bite and going, yeah, was it. Was it John Snow breathing? Was it like, oh, God. Oh, like, absolutely. But specifically for yeah. that reason, so they do that. To watch the internet. Yeah, to watch Wouldn't the internet. Wouldn't that be funny if we come back yes. the next episode and, and he's still dead, but Bowling Greyjoy's alive and walking on the bottom of the ocean. That's why he's gasping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, like, what is that? You can never die, bitches. Oh. <laughs> See? Throw a curveball at him. Real Terminator. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'd watch that. I mean, I'm not saying it would be bad. Just like I said, I think that yeah. that's the type of shit The Walking Dead pulls, and The Walking Dead's audience, which is not me because I hate The Walking Dead, but because you're going to get past season two. Well, no, it was criticism I'm seeing pop up more often for both of these shows now, and I get it, and I didn't know that I could put words to it before because I'm not super articulate with my criticism. Uh, is that both of those shows, and I've never watched Walking Dead, so take what I'm saying here with a grain of salt. But they use death as a dramatic device too liberally to the point where we generally don't care that much anymore. It's true. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. There's, but I mean, in, as you say, there's so many characters in both shows mm-hmm. that it's just like, yeah, I don't care if you're around anymore. Well, how yeah, like telling was it that us as a as a Game of Thrones audience at large, like millions of people, had a character die, Jon Snow. And most people believed, eh, he'll be back. <laughs> what? Yeah. There's, yeah. like, almost no precedent for that. Uh, that's true, but then you see some of those reaction videos that they did, because, you know, all the millennials have to videotape themselves doing everything, but they had the reaction videos, and, like, there were tons of people just crying, like, tears streaming down their faces as right, but, as but, a fictional character. But the reason that most people, like, the reason that this show kind of took off the way it did is because they killed off what was presumably their main character in the end of the first season. 
They yeah. then killed off like what everyone thought was the next main character in the third season and his entire family. Like you killed Han Solo in fourth. Season. Yeah, like <laughs> those things hurt. And by the time we're getting to this point, everyone's just like, "Well, it sucks that Jon Snow's dad. Do I expect it to stay that way?" No. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It was a foregone conclusion, which is why when it was like, oh yeah, like the the showrunners have said Jon Snow's dead. And Kit Harrington says, yeah, Jon Snow's dead. Like in every single time I saw one of these like BuzzFeed articles or like you know posts on yeah. Facebook or something like that, I imagine an asterisk next to that. Well, like, yeah, to I'm sure he is. Part. For now, I guarantee yeah. he'll be back. Well, yeah. There's two things. Uh, one is that okay, why would Kit Harrington be back filming? And all that. It's like, oh, he's spotted there. It's like, but he's, that, he's yeah, dead. And I'll like, explain that away right now. I know. Explain that away right now. <laughs> what? The couple of scenes that he was on the table? The couple of scenes yeah. that he's on the table is the yeah. easiest yeah. thing, and Bran has the power to flashback. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Like, I completely agree with that as, as a reason. Mm-hmm. But the other one is, as it's going along, all these characters are dying. There's no, way, no reason to think that they would ever come back. But as the seasons go on, you we get to see more and more um, these miracles and magic and these other creatures uh, with special powers and whatnot. So it's like, yeah, presumably there is the ability that it could be there. Sure. I'm just saying, like, what is the point of the device then? Is it just, like, I don't like it as a constant, like, we killed a guy, here's our cliffhanger for a year. Well, it's it's because it happened at Castle Black. Anybody south of Castle Black... Not going to happen. Or north of cuts. Yeah, so. <laughs> but what's interesting now, and I actually like the way that it could proceed from here, because there are things happening around now. Like, there were a lot, there's a lot of talk in this episode particularly, where Ramsey's like, here's how we should go and take Castle Black and destroy the bastard. Like, here's how Sansa and Brienne are going to head to Castle Black and meet up with Jon, who's Lord Commander. Like, they all assume he's still alive. So yeah. when they get there, inevitably, let's assume that they do, are they even going to know the difference? No, that's true. And I actually and I, I chuckled. hope that they do, honestly. I chuckled during the scene with Ramsey that it's like, yeah, let's go up there and kill him. It's like, yeah, it's funny. He's already dead at the moment. <laughs> stop, stop. He's already dead. <laughs> My favorite part of that whole Kit Harrington off-season analysis was um, – I'd say like a month or two after the episode aired, he cut his hair or something, oh, and yeah. everybody was like, "Oh my god, he's definitely that dead! It, he cut his hair real. That makes it so real now, as if he couldn't wear a wig or anything." Wait, are you telling me? Is yeah, that uh, why is the between hair was seasons cut? of <laughs> as if between seasons of uh, of Game of Thrones, Natalie Dormer isn't shaving half of her head for Hunger Games, <laughs> as if yeah. I can't work around that with Hollywood magic. Yeah, and like that. That's not even like the before. Like we mentioned in the last episode, that I'm pretty like I joked about how uh, oh god, uh, Cersei. I can't remember her real life name right Lena now. Uh, thank you, Lena Headley's probably you know super happy she doesn't have to wear that giant yeah. wig around anymore when she's you know filming. Actually, the scenes. one stupid thing I noticed in this episode when she was talking with Tommen is that mm-hmm. they both have the same haircut now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good stuff. Oh man, so I guess that uh, puts a wrap on our episode two review or recap. I guess uh, Rob Callflesh, any predictions for who's going to die in the next episode? Who's going to die in the next episode? Yeah. Uh, no, I'd l- 
uh, everybody. <laughs> so many people could potentially die. Yeah. The dra- let's, I'm going to say the dragons are going to kill somebody. The dragons are going to eat. All right. All right. All right. I, I'll buy that. Kevin Miller, anything off the top of your dome piece? It, it's hard at this point because everyone who I'd played it to die in the season already has. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, keep it going. Just remember, don't like anybody else that's still alive. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> that's a hard one. Um, I don't like most of them. Uh, like, I, I think that the dragons killing someone nameless is pretty much a given sometime soon. Um, I think that there will probably be more tensions between Wildlings and uh, 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 Night's Watch, especially now that John is back on the scene, at least in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one else major, I think. I mean, they've killed a lot of major-ish characters, or at least named characters, like players, yeah. in the last two episodes. I think they need to take an episode to breathe. My my prediction, I got one. I think the final image we have of if if Jon Snow, I'm going to add the caveat of if Jon Snow's up and walking around yeah. next episode, I think Alistair Thorne gets, gets, yeah. gets the chopping block. That that's my uh, that's my one prediction. I think I think we end the episode with uh, we, we end episode three just with the sound of the sword, and like maybe we just hear like the screw of the sword. And then you just hear like, yeah. you know, the, the sword hit the meat, and then it just like they don't even need to show you the head coming off, yeah. but you just hear the sword hitting the meat, and then the credits start rolling. Boom. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming out, you guys. We got to get out of here because I got to bring Craig on to talk a little Toronto sports. So thank you for doing this, and we'll have you guys back on in the near future to talk more Game of Thrones. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Take care, you guys. Cheers. So we got a true crossover day as we just finished talking a little bit of Game of Thrones. And now Craig Needles is here to talk the greatest weekend in the history of Toronto sports. What do you say, Craig? Well, it might be, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's up there. You got the Raptors winning a seven-game series for the first time ever. And uh, the Leafs winning the draft lottery. It's hard to hard to argue with that. I, 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 I thought about this in the weekend that Joe Carter hit his uh, World Series winning home run. The Leafs mm-hmm. won their ninth straight to go to 9-0 and on the season. So that was the 93-94 Leafs, uh, and they were coming off a trip to the conference finals the season before. I think that mm-hmm. might be the greatest weekend in Toronto sports history, but this one is clearly in the top two or three. Yeah, and, I mean, and one of them involved winning a draft lottery, of all things. For hey, that's, that's 15 years of Austin Matthews, maybe. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. I mean, I, that, that kid looks good. And I like the fact that, because um, I, got, I got the repeat, because unfortunately I was working during the draft, so I got the I, I managed to catch the replay and I didn't know that they put him on the split screen while they were reading the picks. I'd never seen that before and he I mean he just he stayed stone faced the entire time, which I'm pretty sure a lot of Toronto fans appreciated because like how bad would it have been if he like pulled a full Eric Lindros after like the Leafs card was pulled and was just like oh <laughs> just True. oh man. Although if he pulls an Eric Lindros and refuses to play for the Leafs, that's fine because the last time someone pulled an Eric Lindros, it turned out pretty good for the franchise that he pulled it on. Oh yeah, that was mine too. Uh, God, those years <laughs> for many years ago. A long time ago. Long time ago, and, and boy, the Avs are currently in a mess. But your Toronto Maple Leafs are not in a mess, man. They even, they even signed uh, oh that defenseman. Nikita Zaitsev, uh, yes. 
Yeah, out of the KHL today. Yes. Oh, what, that was a brilliant move. Uh, God, everything's coming up Leafs right I now. I know. This it turns so out weird. when you just pay a bunch of smart people a bunch of money to run the team, it does better than uh, having the cronies of the Ontario Teachers Pension Fund make the choices. Can you believe that? <laughs> it's, it's just It's, it's unbelievable. A, it turns out the Raptors are doing better, too. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, God, I love it. I mean... I mean, we, we can continue talking Leafs if you want, but I, I, I definitely want to talk some Raptors because um, I have one little beef with what happened with the Raptors last night. Um, nothing to do with the players. I thought the players handled themselves perfectly with class and dignity when, when they won that game. There was no, like, you know, there was no over-celebrating. Um, the confetti dropping? That's a little much. It was a little much for winning a Game 7 in a first-round series. Other than that, like I thought the players, I, I thought the players behaved accordingly. Like DeRozan and Lowry hugged, and they were like, "We did it, man! We we slayed our first round dragon." And then everybody else, it was just they shook, you know, hands, hugged the other team, dabs, head taps, on to the next round. I, I like that. The confetti dropping, though, to me, that was a little amateur hour. That that they they let the Toronto spill out in that moment with the confetti dropping. I think. What say you? Um, Portland did it. Well, you know, port I got port. Repeat everything I say, but or like yeah, no, listen no. back to everything I said, but replace Toronto with Portland. No, I'm just saying that um, confetti drops at inappropriate times have been uh, have been a thing in the NBA in playoffs. I think basically, That's other true. than uh, other than San Antonio and uh, and Oakland, it's happened in a lot of cities. But um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I can take or leave that. Uh, just a bit much for me. That uh, it just one just a minor quibble for me. Just uh, scale it back just to just a touch on. Uh, um, how worried were you when the Pacers got it within three with a minute fifteen left in the game? Um, as worried as one could possibly be. Because I, I, I assume that you stayed off of Twitter because I wasn't on you, there very much. No. Yeah, you like me during a game seven. You just you can't go on Twitter. It's just asking for trouble. Um, I tweeted, and uh, I'm sure you'll hate this, but I, I tweeted something along the lines of, uh, isn't a 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter roughly the equivalent of a 4-1 lead with 10 minutes left? Mm. <laughs> it's a little less likely that you win, but yeah, it's about the same. But like there was, there was the one, because the Raptors also, they got it up to like 16 or something in that fourth mm-hmm. quarter, and then there was a big Monte Ellis three. Yeah that cut it to eight. And I said, okay, that's the Nate Horton goal right there. And then there was the Monte Ellis or not Monte Ellis. There was the Paul George shot that got it to three. And I was like, Oh my God, that's the Lucic goal. <laughs> and then luckily the Pacers kicked it, started kicking it all over the th- the court and the Raptors were able to sink their free throws and, and got through I'm, it. But I'm actually looking up the win probability for that game right now. I want to see. If okay. It, um, because yeah, uh, the Raptors obviously would have been in the high 90s at one point, and then they, mm-hmm. they would have got down to uh, much, much, much lower than that at at some point in our lives. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's troublesome. Um, but whatever, <laughs> they they pulled it out. I don't think they're going to win the next round. The reality is, uh, yeah. if you watch Kyle Lowry this season, um, it should be quite clear that he is not at 100% at all when it comes to his elbow. No. He can't shoot basketball. It's obviously a pretty big part of his game. I do not think they'll be able to beat a team like the Heat if they are handicapped in that way. So I just, I just, I think they're going to lose the next series. But Carroll to me looks like he's at eighty percent too, right? right? Like he's not flying around like he normally is. Yeah, he's when he's all the way there. And but he's he's giving you something though. Like I just, I, I was coming off a round where my Celtics were playing. Uh, 
Jay Crowder, who was way less than 80%. He was at 50, and he, he had just no elevation in, in his jump shot when he was shooting threes and, and just no nothing on defense. And, and I see that with Carroll, but Carroll's got a little more in the tank, but it's clear he's not 100%. Yeah, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating. But, you know, like the fact that they can win these games mm-hmm. um, without having – Everyone on 100% shows it's a pretty darn good team. I think they have a chance against Heat. I just don't think they're actually going to beat them. Oh, yeah. Like, they're not going to get swept. I, I, gun to my head, I'd say Heat in six. I think that's I exactly know. what I would say. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, I just – the Heat are a lot better at – actually, I haven't seen – how are they – I'm not sure how they are at late-game execution, but obviously late-game execution was the – Their most. offense has improved a little bit without Bosch. Mm-hmm. And it's not yeah. because Bosch is a bad player. I just think that things are going to streamline a little bit. And uh, – I'm like, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think that Bosch not being there, it's not a reflection of Bosch not being good. It's just a, a reflection of, okay, so there, it's, it's a little bit more weight. It's a little bit more Winslow. It's a little bit, you know what I mean? Like they're just, they're, they're yeah. spreading things out a little more. So I think that despite the fact that Bosch isn't going to be around, it's still going to be a relatively well offensive, uh, oil offensive machine, even though you don't know, Bosch spreading the floor. Um, the Raptors are going to struggle to score. They just will. And I know that Miami's going to be playing small, which kind of goes into the Raptors' hands a little bit, just based on Miami playing small means the Raptors don't have to worry about, you know, Luis Scola minutes or anything like that. So that's okay, but I just, I don't see it happening unless Kyle Lowry is, like, much, much closer to the Kyle Lowry we all knew and loved during the regular season, and I don't know if that's happening. DeMar DeRozan, I thought, made his contract in that Game 7. Even though he had a little bit of a Kobe performance with where, where, where he needed the volume in order to get there. But, I mean, he man, he made some... He had just had some big moments there, when, when the, especially at the end of the game when it looked like the Raptors were about to shrink yeah. and maybe cough it up. DeRozan was the guy who kind of... And, and the, the, the DeRozan yeah. debate, and I'm sure we'll have this, uh, this discussion at some point in the offseason, but the DeRozan debate, for me... Um, is is a relatively straightforward one, whereas there's a guy that has that skill set, and not a lot of guys in the league have that skill set of being able to get to the basket and get to the rim, and he has that, and you're not going to be able to find someone to fill that cap space at that level of skill, even though DeRozan has obviously, obviously very big holes in this game. So I think you probably have to keep him, but I understand the people who say do not keep him, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just... I mean, is is there any chance he signs one of those one-year deals because of the NBA I think cap that's, thing I, that's going up? I think that's... Yeah, I, I know that that's the thing, and I think that's the thing for some of the the, the bigger stars, but I think, mm-hmm. for, I think DeRozan's just going to take his cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... That, that, I mean... It's probably a good move for him. I was just I was just wondering if if that might be in his in the cards for him as far as as a play. But I, I guess coming off that game seven, if he has another halfway de- decent series against the Heat, he's probably going to make this will probably be the off season where he can get the biggest contract of his career. You would think so. Likely. You would think yeah. so. Um, it's uh, it's 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 going to be an interesting series, and well, I don't know. I I don't know what what chance they'd have against Cleveland, but I. Uh, Cleveland and uh, well, Miami I'm, in the uh, conference finals would be interesting TV, obviously. Yes. Uh, that, for, for funsies, I think that would be the, the most, as, as far as outside viewers and, and just like 
uh, people like non Raptors fans, I guess like if the Raptors get there, it'd be fun up here for, for us in, in Ontario. But as far as basketball, just as Matt Pierce, the basketball fan, no slight to, to the Raptors and their fans who are in, you know, direct proximity of me. Wade LeBron would yep. be rather now, juicy. The thing about Chris Bosch not being a part of this anymore is yeah. uh, you can put LeBron at the four, and I just don't know what the Heat do with that. And Please for all the crap, I mean, I do want to see what they do against the Hawks. I still, th- I still think they'll beat the Hawks, but I'm curious to see if the Cavs keep it humming because after all the bullshit they went through this entire season – with firing coaches and, and Tyron Lou and social media, Ron, who's following who? tweets. Yeah. Who's fault, all the sub tweets yeah. and everything. And then all the nonsense. Fuck. Did they look good in that first round? Like they were, they, they look like the, the Pistons way they were are good. To look. The Pistons yeah. are a good team. And then they have some obvious holes and the, the Cavs ex- exposed some of those holes, obviously, mm-hmm. but the Pistons are not a team that you should have been able to just kind of sweep away like that. And the, the Cavs are able to do it. So we'll see if the, if the rest makes them rusty against the, the Hawks. I think the Cavs are going to obviously win that series, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, we'll see what they we'll see what they do there. The Cavs are probably still going to win the East, yeah. and the if West they, is if, going to be one of the Spurs or Warriors. Nothing yeah, has changed they, my mind about that in the first round or through no, a couple of games at the second round. Not at all, especially the way they could lord. They took it to the oh, like Oklahoma City Thunder that game one that the Spurs had. That was that had the crusty moment where it was like, stop, stop, they're already. Dead. Let me tell you something. Like, I love Billy Donovan. And I've spent yeah. years cheering for teams coached by Billy Donovan. And I have loved the way he built the Florida Gator basketball program. It was not much of a basketball program before he got there. When he left, multiple national championships, multiple Final Fours, uh, all sorts of great stuff he did there. Billy Donovan versus Greg Popovich is not the sort of coaching matchup that you want in an NBA series because one knows what he's doing more than the other. Mm-hmm. And it's not really close. Not that there are a lot of coaches that are in Greg Popovich's class, but yeah. Billy Donovan is certainly not one of them. Would Dwayne Casey have been fired if they lost that game seven? I think so. Yeah, I, 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 I think he would have too. I just don't know. I, I think he like you would have had to have done something. Yeah, I don't know who you bring in though. Is the thing I, don't I think know you got to go bring in either, but. You got to bring someone in from like I think we've reached that moment in because like the Lakers just hired Luke Walton, which I think could work out. I don't know if Luke Walton's ready or not, but as a a massive Lakers hater, when it, when they announced they were hiring Byron Scott as their coach, oh how I celebrated right, and Luke Walton hiring, I was like, good workout. Yeah. Right? Well, here's the thing about the Walton hire that I like is the Lakers aren't going to be good next year. No. I understand they have cap space and whatever. I, I don't care. The Lakers are not going to be a good basketball team next year. So Luke Walton gets to sort of do some on-the-job learning as far as what it's like to coach an NBA team that doesn't have by far the most talent on it for half mm-hmm. a season. And then perhaps he's more, a little bit more ready to be a good NBA head coach when the team is ready to be good. Um, I think he's going to get a lot of rope there, and understandably so. I think it's a, a hire that could work out extremely well. And I think I'd much rather do you know the, the Luke Walton way than being like, well, we're going to try George Carl like for the fifth time, yeah. or we're going to, you know what I mean? Like, just hire him instead of someone who's got chance after chance after chance after chance. Yeah, um, yeah. But like I said, as a guy who hates the Lakers, I wish Luke Walton nothing but the worst of luck, and I hope he gets fired within three years and they hire somebody even worse. Mm-hmm. Well, but, the most uh, funny thing to happen to Lakers this season yeah. would be if the ping pong balls don't fall their way and they 
drop a little bit in the in the, in the draft. Yeah, right. <laughs> in the NBA. Hey, uh, no. They, well, so, here's the weird thing. They did it to yeah. the Knicks last year, and everyone's like, oh, wow, the Knicks fell in the draft. Like, can you believe the mm-hmm. NBA wasn't fixing the lottery? And then, and then they got, then they got yeah. the second best player in the draft anyway. In the draft anyway, because <laughs> the 76ers continue to be just yep. awful, just awful and everything. Yeah. And um, obviously, I think that I, I don't think anyone would do. Chris Stapps, Porzingis for for D'Angelo Russell at this point in our lives. I think if uh, no, if the, if the Knicks not. were offered that trade, they would say clearly no. I think yeah, no, the only no, player no. in that draft that you would want more than than Porzingis is Towns. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, despite the fact that the Knicks fell, it worked out a little bit. But the Lakers fall, then their draft pick goes to the 76ers. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't. I just I mean, obviously the ultimate conspiracy would be if both the Celtics and Lakers move up to one and two. Like, that would be pretty ridiculous. Yeah, if it's like, oh, the Celtics and Lakers both have one too, and then the Celtics have never picked in, in the in the history of their team and in the, in the storied history of that franchise, they've never had the first overall pick. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, just continuing along the coach firing, but we're going to kick it back over to the NHL. Uh, Bruce Boudreau. I mean, I get it, but I don't agree with it. Uh, Bruce Boudreau coached a team that um, was one of the best teams in the NHL this year. Young, talented team on the rise. A team that finished uh, in the top five, both in power play and penalty kill. A team They were one, weren't they? Weren't they first and second? I think they, were, they, they might be top yeah, two in both, yeah. Ugh. So they he coached a team with all those things going for them. And a team that, you know, had a little bit of bad luck and with goaltending in game seven. Bruce Boudreaux has done this before with a different franchise. He's done this before with the Ducks. And the goaltending in Game 7, I forget, I, I saw the save percentage for his goalies in Game 7, but some, something absurd like it. It was like 8-7 eight, eight, something. I, yeah, I thought it was like 8-6-3. Yeah. I, I thought that was the number in my dome. Which, and like, let's say that's what it, it is. Awful. That is yeah. just as, as tremendously awful as can be. It was, you it was can't blame eight, Bruce, Bruce Boudreaux for the fact that his goaltending has gone to crap in Game 7s. Not his fault. No, I... <laughs> Because to, to me, we, we talked earlier about if, if we thought Dwayne Casey was going to be fired. I don't think maybe this sounds stupid to me, but or, or maybe this sounds stupid, but, but but this is this is my theory to you. I don't think coaching in the playoffs for hockey counts as much as it does in basketball. I couldn't agree more with that. Because like I just. Like to me, if you're a coach, if you're a great coach in in the NHL regular season, I think that means you're a great coach. And if you get to the playoffs and you get bounced, because in hockey, like you just you run into the hot goalie, or you know, bad bounce of the puck, or whatever it happens yeah. to be, it's just it's you lose three overtime games, yeah. right? Like it's like oh, we lost three overtime games. Well, that means we were in, and we just fucked. We didn't get lucky, and I, I just I think firing people because of quote unquote postseason performance, especially when you look at the numbers with Bo- with Boudreaux, where it's clearly his goaltenders shit the bed in game sevens. And whereas like it like to me, if, if Dwayne Casey lost again, again another game seven while having the better team, I think, then that to me is a lack of he doesn't really know how to make adjustments and stuff like that. So that more there, like there's more logic to firing an NBA coach when they can't get it done in the playoffs to me, as opposed to firing an NHL coach, like firing an NHL coach because they lose game sevens because their goalies are terrible. Just, it doesn't make sense to me. And I wish that the avalanche hadn't have given Wah that vote of confidence so that they could bring in Boudreaux. Yeah. Well, he's probably a better coach than Wah. And here's the other thing. 
How many? I think it's like probably about yeah, it. Yeah, touche. You're right. There's no probably about it. Uh, he's also a better coach than I don't know Michelle Therrien. Yeah, that's another one. And he speaks French, so I maybe we might get to see. Uh, God, God, I'm I'm balking on the Montreal's Mark Bergeron. Mark Bergeron, thank you. Maybe Mark Bergeron walks that back a little bit. <laughs> He's like, hold on one second. I know what I said, but... <laughs> you didn't think that this particular coach would be available. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're like, you know, how many teams would not be better behind the bench if Boudreaux, if Boudreaux was their coach? Like, the least would... Ottawa is, is, is one for me. Ottawa? Like they oh, should, yeah. Should the sense to do it for sure. Yeah. But, like, other than the Leafs and Blackhawks, maybe the Kings... Uh, yeah, the Kings. You know, are, are, are how many teams wouldn't have a better coach if they had Bruce, Bruce Boudreau rather than the dude they have right now? I mean, not many. Yeah, I mean the fr- the Penguins would. Yeah, the I Penguins. Mean, would, Trots, I like the guy that got the Penguins yeah. up now, but uh, Trotz obviously. Yeah, very Trotz. Be fine for Washington, yeah. but like I just, other than that, you're right. It, there's at least twenty teams right now that should be fire their guy or be like, hey, you're the assistant coach now yeah. and bring in bring in Boudreau. And I just. Man, uh, silly to me. Um, you want to talk a little Austin? We can talk a little more yeah, Austin, Matthews. Austin Matthews. It was, it was a big weekend. A lot happened. It's, a, it's an emotional oh, time. It, it is. Uh, Austin it, I mean, Matthews. Even the Jays finally won a, yeah, won a, the Jays won a series. series. Yeah, that's great. Uh, Austin Matthews um, is exactly the sort of player the Leafs didn't have in this rebuild, mm-hmm. and now they're going to have that sort of player. They didn't have the guy. Like, Nylander is probably going to be talented enough to be a number one center, but they didn't have sort of the big hulking type of number one center, which yeah. is a little bit overrated as far as the need there. But Nylander and Murder are very similar players where they're, you know, kind of smaller guys, but very, very skilled with the puck. Um, so is Matthews, but Matthews is, is, is a different type of player. I think it's exactly the sort of thing they needed. Now you can go into the next six years, and your centers down the middle can be Matthews, Nylander, Kadri. For six years, and the oldest and, one. And you, oh, we didn't even talk about that incredibly awesome contract that you signed. Yeah, Nazem Kadri. You're paying him nothing 4.5. for so many years. Yeah, you, you're, they're paying him little enough that he can be the third line center. It's not right. Yeah. Cap. So he's oh, the third man. line center, and he'll be the best third line center in the league because Kadri's excellent. Um, Long term, he's a third line center. So they have six years of those guys being on the roster. Like that's really good. Yeah. Oh, and then you add in Mitch Marner, who's just destroying the Ontario Hockey League this season. Oh, my God. Like, they're going to kill the Ice Dogs, the, the Knights, I think. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, I, Knights are, the Knights are great. Um, yeah. I was upset the Colts didn't get there for obvious reasons. For obvious personal reasons of I could go right. to all of those games. But <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, yeah. I don't know what, uh, it happens. And, and the Ice Dogs are a good team. But I, I don't think they're going to be able to uh, do much against London. So you have James Van Riemsdyk also playing the wing. He only got him for two years, but still. So you've got Marner and Van Riemsdyk on the wing. You've got Brandon Leipzig, maybe. Uh, you're going to be able to bring in, or uh, you can put Leo Komarov somewhere on your third line. Like, there is a lot to like about what they've done here. I think they're one defenseman away from being in a really, really, really good spot, like, soon. And, oh, by the way, maybe they'll sign Steven Stamkos. Yeah, it's <laughs> just that little uh, little caveat there <laughs> Maybe they bring in the second best player in, in hockey, or some could argue the best player in hockey. Uh, Man, it, it's it's so weird. I mean, it like it's, it's Toronto sports, it, shit's coming around for them, and all it took was a whole lot of celebrities dying in the same year. Blood had to be spilled, but but we're here now. The, it, it really is for the Toronto franchise, like, and just like 
I had gone through uh, a pretty significant period of time when uh, when none of my sports franchises were particularly well run. There was no hope. There were no prospects. And now the Jays play in the ALCS last year. The Leafs have the best group of young players in hockey. Like, if if you were to to take the future of one franchise for the next five six years, like isn't yeah. I, like the only competition would be Edmonton just because of yeah. the presence of McDavid alone. The Leafs mm-hmm. are the team that you would want. You add that to the fact that the Raptors are in the second round of the playoffs for the second time in franchise history. And, oh, by the way, the Broncos just won the Super Bowl. Like, yeah. uh, things are going real well for me right and, now. I mean, they brought in Paxton Lynch, who I don't think we'll see a sn- too many snaps this year. And but that's all right. Probably, that's, uh, probably shouldn't, but that's the way to go with Paxton Lynch. And, and, and I, didn't, I, I didn't mind that move at all. But Here's um, what I'll say. If the Rams called and said Jared Goff or Paxton Lynch, I'd probably do it. I, but I, I'd, I'd think about it. I, I'm just not a Jared Goff fan. He, it's just way too many throws. Like it, just in the footage I've seen, just way too many throws off the back yeah. foot. I'm not. I'm, he might have terror. He might have bad feet, and I'm then, which scares the shit and out may, of me. And maybe you can correct that. It depends on the coaching. I don't know if I particularly yeah. am, am confident in coaching quarterbacks from a Rams perspective based on. Injury. No, but the 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 point is, there's a chance that the Broncos got like. The, I don't think they got the best player in this draft by any stretch of the imagination, but there's a chance they got the best quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I like, there's a chance. I, I'm, I'm, I'd, perf- I'd be perfectly and he's happy. He's raw, and obviously the offense he ran yeah. was nothing like an NFL offense. But yeah. you know, I'm, you, I'm you, perfectly you've got, happy. Uh, you've got a guy who's good at coaching quarterbacks and Gary Kubiak, and you uh, mm-hmm. also have John Elway as part of this. And he and Paxton Paxton Lynch has the exact same skill set as a former. Uh, Gary Kubiak guy, Joe Flacco. Yes, like Joe Fla- very, Flacco. Very similar. A big arm. He can move a little bit. He can move around mm-hmm. outside the pocket. It's uh, it's very similar. Big dude. Yeah, no, I've uh, – and I think yeah. – and Brock Osweiler kind of that skill set too. So it's uh, – yeah. they, they kind of have uh, – uh, John Elway certainly has a type. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and that apparently is it. So we'll see if he can turn Paxton Lynch into something. If he can, the Broncos are going to be good for a long time in a row. I just want to take one second and acknowledge the uh, the fact that the Jacksonville Jaguars, after all the nonsense they've been through over the fan, the last few years, fantastic draft, absolutely fantastic. I'll tell you draft. right now, just that. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are the best team in the AC South. They, they might be right now. Yeah. The on offense, it's, it's, I think they're they're yeah. the best team on offense. Yeah, I really do believe that. I, I I they're they're better than the Colts on even though the Colts have Andrew Luck, Blake Bortles mm-hmm. is fine. Like Blake Bortles obviously has some throws that he wishes he could have back, but mm-hmm. the interceptions are still going to be there. No, yeah, for, they are, for, and, and for. obviously the fact that he has Hearns and Robinson makes him makes him look good, and he's yeah, he's Thomas in the middle, and 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 you know they got some other good pieces on offense like Yeldon and Denard Robinson, and now they bring in Chris Ivory. So I understand from that that the, the Jaguars are the best offense in, in mm-hmm. the division right now, and their defense is getting better. You add a Jalen Ramsey. Add a Miles Jack. Um, you add some of the guys they brought in free agency and Malik Jackson. They probably overpaid Malik Jackson, but that's okay. Um, they're they're I think the best team in that division. The Jags might be a playoff team this year. Jalen Ramsey was the best player in this draft, in my opinion. I, know I a lot would of people agree. like like Laramie Tunsil as an offensive line. I'm not a big like offensive line guy. I did like Laramie Tunsil, and I think that the the whole sabotage thing that was happening to him before that draft started was one of the most bizarre things to happen at the NBA draft as it was happening probably since the Jets fans were asking for Warren Sapp and drafted I, oh, who even remembers yeah. 
But like, or are the Jets fans asking for Dan Marino and drafting Ken O'Brien? You know, there's a lot of uh, stuff that happens. Man, the Jets have the worst at like at the draft moments. But like, well, most of the drafting. drafts were in New York, and that adds to it, obviously. Yeah, true. And and but like Jalen Ramsey to me was such a face melter on as a cornerback. That it, it was just... He's just a guy that if you're a defensive coordinator, you just want that guy so bad because of all the interesting yes. stuff you can do with him. On, oh, you know God. I mean? like, he just destroyed like, souls. He was like a Mortal Kombat character when they go, finish him, when guys were coming off the line. It was disgusting. I saw it, every, I saw it like twice a year for two years, for two or three years when he was with Florida State against the against the Hurricanes. No, he's, he's, he's extremely, extremely good. Monster. The Jags fans should Monster. be thrilled. Uh, I love and their draft. Was a fool. I love Minnesota's draft too, which I say. Every yeah, year. yeah, yeah. But, uh, I love Minnesota's draft. They got mm-hmm. they got uh, Laquan. Laquan. I knew that was the second that four six time came out. I said, "Fuck, he's gonna fall to the damn Vikings," and he did, and it makes me vomit. Yep. That's and he's just gonna say. be the big physical guy, and Diggs is gonna oh. be the uh, the dude who um, you know does sort of that uh, the, the shiftier stuff. And and Laquan Treadwell is an amazing blocker, which is a handy thing to have as a wide receiver if your team has Adrian Peterson on it. Yeah, that was the big yep. thing, right? Was everyone said, "Oh, he's a great, he's like the best blocking receiver," and then. The people that put him down were like, well, so? How often do you need a blocking receiver these days? And I'm like, well, when you have Adrian Peterson, you need a blocking yeah. receiver. Yeah, well, it certainly, certainly not bad. <laughs> like, yeah. And remember, uh, Heinz uh, Ward was uh, was maybe the best blocking receiver the last, like, 15 years. Like, he's great. I'm, I think he's the best blocking receiver of all time. Yeah, he's really good at it. And yeah. uh, that was a big uh, that's a big asset for the Steelers. And it wasn't like Heinz Ward couldn't do other no, no, stuff. No, Heinz Ward <laughs> had lots of skills. But uh, right. that was a big asset for the Steelers. So it's, it's, it's right. not nothing. So I'm not saying that Laquan Treadwell is going to be Heinz Ward, but he's he's pretty good. Yeah, the Lions draft, and we could just talk about my my Lions for two seconds. Um, I think it was solid. I think they made some solid picks, and to me, it just tells me that they brought in Bob Quinn, and Bob Quinn is just saying like, it it's the not going to be a tear, sorry, it's not a teardown, but it's a definite we're moving in a different direction type of yeah and that's okay the only thing yes. that i thought was strange just because he's from the the patriots tree right um mm-hmm. is that they didn't do a lot of trading down true well I, I to me i'm not sure if that had to do with like we're trading down we're accumulating because the lines already had a lot of picks in this draft that's true like, they, they had they, they had, had, had a fifth from denver from last year yeah they had nine, I think, of the yeah. seven. And, I mean, it's no Toronto Maple Leafs having 12 picks <laughs> in 2016, but it was decent. So I don't, I'm not sure if they felt they need to trade down. And they definitely felt like they got their guy when they drafted uh, yeah. Tucker. Uh, De- Decker is the guy that uh, obviously made sense based on need, and he was probably the best player on the board, on most mm-hmm. people's boards at that point. Um, so that, that made all the sense in the world. I get yeah. why you wouldn't want to trade down there if you think, okay, Decker is uh, Decker is who we want. Um, but and and Ashawn Robinson, some people thought he was going to be strong mm-hmm. player. Yeah, you know? and you get him in round two, and that's fine. Um, they, they, uh, there, there, there were some uh, there were some nice picks there, and and they had to do something about the offensive line. So they they took yes. uh, they took Decker, they took the the center from Michigan, Glasgow, who. Seems like he might uh, have a chance to be uh, be somewhat decent, and they, they they did a lot of stuff on the interior portion of the line. So there was obviously a consideration of, hey, that was the problem last year, so let's go out and try to fix it. The problem with with what the Lions did is, um, and, and and it was a decent draft, and the, the Lions are in a situation where 
mm-hmm. they are in a division with all smart teams. Yes. Uh, or at the very least. I, I, well, I two smart teams and the Bears who occasionally do good stuff. Right. And and I think the Bears have had a nice offseason. Yes. Um, that, that makes life a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. It's not like being in the NFC East where there are no smart teams. Yeah. One day. Maybe one yeah. day. What did you make of the whole uh, Josh Norman thing where he they rescinded the franchise tag and then he signed with the Washingtons? Um, I was not surprised Carolina did that. I think that they fig- figured they had a price for that particular player and they said, okay, we're not going to meet that price and that, that he wanted, so it's time to uh, time to move along. You don't want to keep him around for one extra year, though? Maybe take another stab at it? Um, I, I suppose they could have done that and then just not franchise him mm-hmm. the next year. Yeah. But, um, no, maybe they just figured that, uh, that uh, you know, just better to just move along right now. And mm-hmm. this way they'll get a, a third-round comp pick in, uh, mm-hmm. in 2016 or 2017. I'm starting to think those comp picks, by the way, are, uh, are the new inefficiency in the NFL. I'll talk about that in just a second. But I... I, I, I get it. I understand where their thought process was here. So uh, it's good. It's good news for Washington. We'll see if Norman was a guy who was helped a little bit by that tremendous front seven the Panthers have. Mm-hmm. Yes, because uh, Washington's got some That's players the there. But uh, we'll see if uh, we'll see if they're as successful as the Carolina players were. But Washington might be the best team in the NFC East, and I, I think they are. I absolutely think they are. Yeah. On paper right now, I, I don't think there's any I don't understand how Dallas is going to get to the quarterback ever. No. And that's something that they could have obviously solved with the fourth overall pick in the draft, but they took a running back instead. Mm-hmm. Actually, let's talk about that for a second, then I'll talk about the comp picks. Just, uh, I put my, like, the Dallas Cowboys, man. Can't get out of their own way. And and here's the thing. I get it. If their thought process yes. is, we t- if Ezekiel Elliott is what we think he is, he's going to be a 2,000-yard back behind this line. I get it. Yes. I understand it. They just had whatever's left of Darren McFadden. Do what was his yards per carry this year? It was it was pretty good, despite the fact that everyone knew they were running every damn time. Mm-hmm. And Darren McFadden had a really good year. And the, the way I got to figure it figured is, if you can find a Darren McFadden on the scrap heap, yes, to be an excellent player in your system running the ball because your offensive line is so good. Why do you need to invest the fourth overall pick to find a guy who can run behind that line? Why can't you because pick later in the draft to find a guy who can run behind that line? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it's because I, and you're I, Jerry Jones and, and yes. you know, you want to make a splash and blah, 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 blah. But I, I understand why it happened this way. I just think that logic would dictate that, yeah, I know you want to strengthen a strength, but logic tells me that, you can find a dude off the street who's going to be able to put up, well, what did McFadden do this past year? I know McFadden's talented, but he put up 4.2 or 4.6 rather yards per attempt this past season. Um, He was just, he was really, really good, really good. And that's when Romo was hurt most of the time that he was in there. So the teams knew they were running every time and they still weren't able to stop him, or at least not very effectively. Darren McFadden this season had almost 1,100 yards rushing and 1,400 yards from scrimmage. And they figure they need to spend the fourth overall pick to improve upon that. Again, maybe you don't want to count on Jerry McFadden to be healthy again next year, which, which makes sense based on his history. But you can do something else at running back. You don't have to invest the fourth overall pick. Go get a Jalen Ramsey. Go get a DeForest Buckner or whoever you want to go get because your front seven needs some help too. And this is the team that, with a little bit of help on defense, could win the Super Bowl. 
and they're not going to have that help now because they decided to re-strengthen something that was already good. It's, it's. I agree with everything you just said. Couldn't, could not agree more. It is the dumbest thing, and like, it's been the biggest conversation as far as the first round of the draft has goes for the past three years. Is should you be burning first round picks on running backs? And I am of the mind, no, no, you should not. The the numbers clearly indicate that you shouldn't. You can find guys off the scrap heap. You can find undrafted guys. You can find guys in mm-hmm. rounds four. You're five, much six, better seven. burning that pick on a guard. Yes, it, like you just you can. If you, you can want burn, to run the you, ball, find a yes, guard. You know, absolutely. And it's just you mentioned Jerry Jones, and that's all it is. It's this is a team run by Jerry Jones, who was a guy who was living in the past and says, "Well, this is how we did it in the '90s when we were when we won three straight." And if I wasn't an idiot and fired uh, Jimmy. We probably could have won four or five. I just, man, it's just so dumb to me. And it was just because, like, it's just like, hey, you know, like, let's get Ezekiel. We we took Emmett in the first round back in 1990. Let's get Ezekiel. And, and Ezekiel is probably going to be a stud. And if you're a fantasy football player, he's probably going to be, I don't know, first, second round pick. And I just... Man, I, I it's it's just so dumb to me. It's 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 such medieval thinking to be taking running backs in the first round. And I I I would argue that Ezekiel Elliott that Ezekiel Elliott was the second worst move of the draft. The worst being the Tampa Bay Bucks burning a second and a third to move up to draft a kicker in the second round. I just like what the hell was that? I, I not <laughs> what you want. <laughs> Um, <laughs> a second round kick, like it, like if if you put a seventh round kick or a seventh round pick on a kicker, I laugh. <laughs> like like what are you doing? Yep. Second draft picks on kickers, they move, they burn a second and a third to take a kicker. It's like what are you doing? It's suboptimal. <laughs> oh, it's just I I just I don't get it. There's like I'm not a very smart guy, and and I'm just I I, I wish I could be like I I, I wish I could be like. The head, like, I wish I could be in a draft room and my title should just be like, like, president of common sense, right? Like, and they should be like, hey, Matt, I, I realize you don't know this guy's name, but he's a kicker. Should we burn a second and a third to go get him? And I'll be like, no. And they'll be like, okay. <laughs> move on, right? Like, it's just, oh, it's, it's just dumb to me. I just, I don't get, there's supposed to be so many smart people in these, in these rooms and they just, well, let's just... They just do silly stuff yeah, like and, this. and look, I, if you think Roberto Aguayo is going to be a kicker for you, it needs a good kicker. If you think he's going to mm-hmm. be your kicker for the next oh, 10 he's, years, he's... fine. Um, you can probably wait till round three. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and he's trading up was just... I I just I thought that was just special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah good Lord. And, and good of the Chiefs to just be like, yeah, we'll get out of your way, sure, you can take this kicker, it's fine. Um, <laughs> just looking at yards per attempt... And just getting back to the running back thing for just a second, then we'll move on to my compensatory pick thing. Yeah. Uh, yards per attempt this past season. Um, number one among running backs is Thomas Rawls, who I believe is an undrafted free agent. Yeah. Number two was Ryan Matthews, who at one point in his life was a first-round pick, but has since mm-hmm. been a free agent. Charles Sims, number three. Running backs, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, just to yeah. bring it full circle. Charles Sims, number three. Mm-hmm. Not a guy you had to give a first-round pick to get. Le'Veon Bell, a second-round pick, number four. Doug Martin, mm-hmm. who was picked 31st overall, I think, number five. Todd Gurley, mm-hmm. number six, and Todd Gurley's excellent. C.J. Anderson, undrafted free agent, number four. Giovanni Bernard, second round pick, number uh, number five. David Johnson, who was the late round pick, number six. Mark Ingram, 
late first round pick again, number seven. Darren McFadden, the aforementioned Darren McFadden, picked up off the scrap heap, was number eight. Um, we don't have to go any further. It's it's not guys that you would consider to be people that you had to invest a whole lot to go get. Uh, number number nine was uh, D'Angelo Williams, who was, again, a street free agent or a guy that was signed as a free agent coming from Carolina. He was cut. And then number 10 was Adrian Peterson. So the, you, don't, you don't have a guy taking the top half of the first round until you get to 10th as far as yards per carry. And Adrian Peterson is obviously excellent, and he's a Hall of Fame football player. But the point is you can find dudes to play that spot without having to invest that type of draft pick. Yeah. It's just, I would, if I was running a football team, I would just have like a, a just complete embargo on using first round picks on running backs. I just, or at least top half of the first round. Yeah, exactly. Right. Precisely. Just if we've got pick 28 and there's a guy sitting there, I don't mind it, but four, number four, Jalen Ramsey on the board. Like, Oh, Jalen Ramsey was the best player in the draft. And I think everybody who, who, I think the five teams who did not take him are stupid. And I'm not a big Jared Goff or Carson Wentz fan. And I get that you're like, we've got to get a quarterback. And I'm just. Yeah. There's, there's, they're, they're not great quarterbacks. Like, no, not, and, like, and that just shows that not, the, the desperate desperation to, to find a guy yes. who plays that position. And I understand it. I completely and totally mm-hmm. understand why there's desperation because yes. you can't be good unless you have someone who plays that spot. Well, yeah. It, like, well, you can have sometimes Peyton Manning wins Super Bowl. Like, last yeah, year. like there's, the there are stands. the odd outliers. Uh, friggin' Trent Dilfer won a, a Super Bowl. Peyton Manning, with the exact same skill set as Trent Dilfer, won a uh, <laughs> in in you know in the thirtieth year of his career won a uh, Super Bowl. So like there are outliers, but I mean it's just. Unless you build the perfect, perfect defense, you need a quarterback that can move the ball to win a Super Bowl. And so far in how many Super Bowls have there been? 50-ish? And I can think of two instances just off the top of my dome where people build the perfect defense where they could just put a a guy who was past his prime or a schlep. And it was the two I mentioned, the Ravens yeah. and, and the, the Broncos. Um I mean, and as a guy who's a Lions fan and the current quarterback of our franchise, Matthew Stafford, is the greatest quarterback in the history of the Detroit Lions. I mean, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I've been absolutely fine with seven years of, of Matt Stafford because he can do stuff and move the ball. And, you know, he's not going to cost you games or be a schlep out there and it's it's been a joy to watch and I, I get I that's why I get my back up a little bit when people rip on Matt Stafford and say oh he just throws the ball to Calvin Johnson and I'm like well that's not true but I mean it's true a little bit but yeah well we're gonna find out how true that is in yeah this months. season yeah. yeah but I mean I still think like <laughs> everyone says oh he just throws the, the the ball to Calvin Johnson well even if that's true what's your plan like, okay, so you don't think Matt Stafford, you can win a Super Bowl with Matt Stafford. What do you do? Like, you can't call up the Packers and be like, hey, trade us Aaron Rodgers, no. right? Like, yeah, if the just, argument is, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, yeah. how many, there aren't a lot of Aaron Rodgerses and Cam Newtons to go around. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? That's why those there's guys. Barely, there's like, there's like, there's 30 teams in the league. 32. 32, sorry, in football. 32, and there's like six elite quarterbacks, and then a sub-tier of another four or five where you're like, and that's kind of the tier of Matt Stafford's on where you're like, okay, these guys can play quarterback. 
but can you win a Super Bowl with them? I don't know. And then the rest are just garbage to the point where people are like, we got to trade up and get Jared Goff. Exactly. Look, like, look, let's just look at through the NFL teams. How many are happy with their quarterback situation unreservedly right now? Uh, the Rams would say that, but they just gave up a whole ton of stuff to get a first overall pick that may not pan out. I'm just looking yeah, through my division. Uh, the Seahawks are absolutely happy. The 49ers are not. The Cardinals are fine for a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Saints, fine for a year, maybe. The Buccaneers look like they're okay. The Panthers, absolutely fine. The Falcons, probably not as fine as they would have you believe. Not, yeah, not after that yeah. last. If, if Matt Ryan looks shaky, he needs a bounce back year. Like, if, if, if he looks shaky in the first four weeks, there's going to be a lot of collar pulling going on in Georgia. Yep. Uh, the Chicago Bears, not fine. Minnesota Vikings, eh. Jury's still out, Jury's but still it's, out. it's close to coming into a verdict on, on Bridgewater. He's got a lot of talent there this year. If he looks shaky, yeah. they're, they're, they're... Yeah, they're going to need to do yeah. well this year. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, a lot of Teddy's problem was that line couldn't pass block to save its life last year. But, also yeah. true. Uh, Detroit, fine. Green Bay, obviously yeah. excellent. The Giants, fine. The Eagles gave up a ton. The Redskins, oh, sorry, Jar. The Washington no, team. Dang. The yeah. Washington <laughs> team, fine. Yeah. Uh, Dallas whatever fine for a year oakland mm. actually looks like they're fu- they're more than fun i hope they are yeah. like i know i know you hate the raiders craig because you're a broncos fan but isn't the nfl just a little bit better when the raiders it, are, it are was, good it was and more fun wins? when wins over the raiders meant a little something more than okay like, we, like okay we beat them you know what i mean like it was yeah it was meant a little bit more uh yeah and so Carr looks like he's good the raiders in general look like they're good uh yeah. F- river's fine for at least a year alex smith they will tell you that they're more fine than they are. The Colts yeah. are obviously fine. Denver, question mark, question mark, question mark, by the way. Houston just spent a bunch of money on Brock Osweiler. Jacksonville looks like they're okay. Uh, Tennessee, fine, I guess. But we don't know enough about Mariota yet. The Browns, not fine at all. The Ravens would tell you they're more fine than they actually are. So would the Bengals. Pittsburgh has Roethlisberger. They're good. The Patriots have Tom Brady. They're fine for as long as Tom Brady's fine. Tannehill's not good. Tyrod Taylor, we don't have, haven't seen enough of yet, and we have no idea who's playing quarterback for the damn Jets. So, like, how many of these teams are did we just name off where they're like absolutely okay with their quarterback situation? Like six or seven tops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just it's it's an all time quarterback dearth in terms of just. And part of the reason why is because it's such levels. a passing league, and it's so important um, that it stands out. The fact if you don't have a dude, you know what I mean. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it just you you it it seems like you can't win. Like I said, unless you build the perfect defense, which the Broncos happened to do last year, and yeah, just and like I said, it's been done two times in the fifty years of the of the National Football League, right? Yeah, and and you needed, you know, you, you needed Hall of Fame ascension level guys like Von Miller and Ray Lewis in order to make that work. So yeah. Uh, so the moral story is quarterback and dearth, and that's why teams give up insane amounts of draft picks to acquire them. <laughs> Which is just, draft picks are so valuable in the NFL. They are so valuable. I think they're the league that, that, that those are the most valuable in, actually. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Like, like, uh, it's so insane. Um, so I think that's it. We pretty much No, I want to get to just one more thing about draft picks. One more thing. All right, throw it out yeah. there. Um, here's something I've noticed about draft picks in the NFL is that some teams – are getting smarter about these compensatory picks for free agents. Mm-hmm. And I think the new Browns regime has obviously realized the numbers behind how 
valuable these draft picks are. And they let basically ball, Paul yeah, basically uh, all of their draft picks go, all of their free agents go rather, in order to collect compensatory draft picks. So they're going to get, according to OverTheCap.com, this is their projection, a fourth rounder for Alex Mack, fourth rounder for Tayshawn Gibson, fourth rounder for Mitchell Swartz, fifth rounder for Travis Benjamin, seventh rounder for Craig, Dro- Craig Robinson. Five picks that you can trade as of next year because of the fact that they just let these guys go and didn't sign anyone. Cincinnati Bengals getting six. The Bengals have been the best draft team in the league the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. The Broncos had deliberately avoided signing big free agents because they knew they were getting third-round picks for Brock Osweiler and Malik Jackson. Mm-hmm. Like, those are two third-round... That's essentially a second-round pick for free just for letting dudes go. That has become a new inefficiency in the NFL, and you notice that a lot of these teams are going to see a lot of players that are leaving so they don't have... So they collect these compensatory picks... Next year, they're tradable, and that just gives you so much flexibility on the draft floor. So the Browns are going to have all their own draft picks, their five compensatory picks, plus the picks they got from the trade with Tennessee, the pick they got from the trade with the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, they're going to be very busy at the draft picks year, and obviously that's their plan to rebuild. And I think these, that's what the smart teams are going to be doing. It's, it's so strange to say this be, because they're the Cleveland Browns. But over the past four or five years, they've been the best franchise at accumulating draft picks, which should <laughs> translate into future success. But unfortunately, through terrible drafting, you know, Justin Gilbert, et cetera, et cetera, just hasn't come to fruition right. for them. Like, well, like you just, just want make... as many swings at yeah. played as you can possibly get. I think that's, be- yes. that's become the efficiency. That's why the Patriots trade down all the time. That's why most yes. teams in the league trade down all the time. You just want as many swings as you can get. And they're going to they're gonna try to get those swings, and, and, and good for them. Um, is it, is it going to work? You can't guarantee it. Justin Gilbert, though, was a questionable pick as soon as it happened. Uh, mm-hmm. Imagine if they had traded the Sammy Watkins pick and drafted Odell Beckham and then had another first-round pick for the following season. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, and that's what exactly, right? could have like, occurred, but that's, yeah, that's a different discussion that's, a different day. That's where the Browns kind of fail is they, they don't – necessarily take their picks but I mean like they made the fantastic trade for other than I think the little hiccup they made with where they fell for the the Vikings smoke screen that one year and they traded up so they could draft Trent Richardson yet yeah another they, they, they traded to uh they traded up one spot team yeah. with Adrian Peterson so they could draft a running back yeah yeah to in the number three spot <laughs> just, which, just know, in case the team with Adrian Peterson was going to draft another running back yeah, it was oh, it was so stupid. But then they quickly rebounded from that and traded Trent Richardson for a first round draft pick. So call that a wash, right? As far as their, as far as the Trent Richardson nonsense. But like, I mean, they they made the Julio Jones trade, which obviously worked out. Or I mean, it didn't necessarily work out for the Browns, but they accumulated all those picks and Atlanta got their guy. And Julio Jones is you know top three wide receiver in the league right now. But, I mean, the Browns, they, I mean, they've done that a few times now where they just, they're accumulating picks, and one would think at some point, if, if Paul DePosta can, can figure out who they should be taking with some of these picks. Yeah, or whoever chance... their scouts are. I don't know if they yeah. be responsible for making those determinations. But, yeah, like, they, they could turn this around real quick. You just got to, you got to have one or two good drafts. Look how bad Jacksonville was, like, two years ago, you know? Yeah. And Absolutely. and then, you know, they have a couple of good drafts. They find a couple of good undrafted free agents and a couple of free agent signings that aren't terrible. 
And all of a sudden now we were just talking about how, hey, maybe that team's going to win the AFC South. You know, yeah. it does not take that long. Of course, one of the things Jacksonville did was spend a top five pick on a quarterback. Um, and the Browns have not done that yet. I hope, just because I think it's a great story, it'd be neat if RG3 was actually decent for them this year. That would be mm-hmm. fun. I'm not going to count on that. That would be fun. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that for me is just the, the, the right thing to do. You need so many damn players because you let a lot of guys walk away. Just mm-hmm. get as many picks as you can and see what happens. And if you're terrible this year, so be it. Yeah, I agree with it. It's just, yeah, get picks, make good draft, <laughs> make good picks with or good selections with those picks. And uh, build that way. That's that seems to be the uh, the strategy. The Patriots have been doing it for over, close to two decades now, and it's been working out. So just yeah. Now, obviously, yeah. it's easier to it's easy to make things work out when you get to have Tom Brady the whole time. True. Oh. Very true. Very true. That is the thing. If but, they didn't have Tom Brady the whole time, trading down all the time doesn't look as smart as it does. But no, I I mean I I guess my my thing is just if you're trading up to get in like Andrew Luck, a guy who you know is going to be a franchise changer. I'm fine with it. I, just, I, I can't fathom trading up to take Jared Goff, who throws off his back foot, and I'm not sure has accuracy, you know, or just, and doesn't have accuracy, right? It's just so. I don't know. It's just so weird to me. It's just it's it's how it just shows how much you need a quarterback in order to succeed in this league. It's insane. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so I think that's it. I mean, we're all caught up. It's good, it's good to have you back on. We haven't had you on in a while. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was kind of a, a helter-skelter conversation the weekend in sports. We went from thing to thing, but I enjoyed it. It was good. Yeah, oh, it was great. I love it. I'm glad, I'm glad we're all caught up. Um, yeah, so uh, it's nice talking to you. Take care, and we'll see you next time on the Crossover Podcast. All right, see you later.